The WBEN All Local. All Local. Produced by Randy Bushover. A daily look at what's happening in Buffalo, Western New York, and the world. I'm Susan Rose. I'm Brian Mazarowski. Outside, currently looking at clear skies, 45 degrees in Buffalo. As we approach the one-year anniversary of the top shooting, survivors are wrestling with exactly how to move forward. Here's WBEN's Max Ferry. This is a year later for everyone else who was able to kind of move on with their lives and come back to this circle back to it a year later. We've been living with this for 365 days, so no, it's not a year later for us. It's just another day with the life that we live. Our lives have completely changed. They've been broken and damaged and destroyed from the lives that we had before, and we've had to learn how to live again. Fragrance Harris Stanfield has not returned to work at the Tops on Jefferson Avenue in Buffalo since the day of the horrific, racially motivated mass murder that happened one year ago. May 14th, 2022. Psychological, mental, and physical distress still remain in the minds and bodies of the survivors. Stanfield says one of her biggest frustrations is society's lack of understanding. So they attempted to murder me, and that has not been acknowledged by the majority of society. It's not acknowledged by the criminal justice system, and it's not acknowledged by a lot of people who like to harass me about whether or not I should be considered a survivor because I am a survivor because I literally was present and ran for my life. So it's not a feeling thing. Stanfield says some of her fellow colleagues have switched stores or left the store, but those who returned to the store are also being harassed. They realize that, you know, people were murdered there and some some people are not comfortable with it being open. So they will say things like, how does it feel to walk on people's graves every day um, and things like that. So we're constantly like re-traumatized. Stanfield thinks the city of Buffalo needs to do more for the survivors and more needs to be addressed. You can hear the full extended interview online. This is Max Ferry for WBEN.com News. All right, Max, thank you. Uh, still much more to come, including a special program this upcoming Sunday here on WBEN. Uh, that we want to inform you about and a special 930 and 716 podcast series as well. We'll begin posting those tomorrow, four-part podcast series, looking back at the attack on tops. And uh, still to come later on today, we'll be speaking with uh, Michael Cummings, Dr. Michael Cummings from ECMC, talking about how to mentally move on, whether you were there or not, from that attack a year ago. Two people were hurt in a rollover crash on the 290 last evening. Two cars and a motorcycle were involved in the incident on the 290 eastbound around 630 near the Niagara Falls Boulevard exit. Amherst police say two cars and a motorcycle collided. One car flipped. The two people hurt were taken to a hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The accident remains under investigation. The New York Coalition for Open Government claiming the process, the Buffalo Salary Review Commission used to recommend more than 12% pay raises for elected leaders in the city was flawed. The commission, formed April 18th, issued a final report to the council less than 10 days later on April 27th. Paul Wolf with the Coalition for Open Government tells Channel 2 he's never seen government work so fast in a way that kept the public in the dark, the group considering a lawsuit. Tuesday did not provide any progress in talks to raise the debt ceiling as we inch closer to the due date for the U.S. to pay its bills. The risk of default grows. Retirement accounts could collapse and borrowing costs would most certainly increase. In essence, a recession would become a reality. Lindsay Watts 
fills us in. The stakes couldn't be higher. Social security payments will halt. Troops will go unpaid. The stock market will plunge. Interest rates will spike. And by one projection, six million people could lose their jobs. There are talks about workarounds if Congress can agree to raise the limit. One idea, the U.S. Treasury minting a $1 trillion coin. Biden saying yesterday that's not on the table. But he revealed he is looking at using the 14th Amendment to raise the limit without congressional approval. Biden does admit using the 14th Amendment is very unlikely, conceding it would spark lengthy litigation and would ultimately be ineffective. Well, after just three hours of deliberations, a civil trial against former President Trump concluded with the jury finding him liable of defaming and sexually abusing author E. Jean Carroll back in the 1990s. Andrea Fujii tells us member, uh, how member Republicans are reacting. Some Republicans appear unfazed by the latest legal blow to Trump. Senator Marco Rubio called the jury a joke. And Senator Bill Haggerty described the verdict as the latest legal circus. But Senator John Cornyn, a Trump critic, told reporters, I do not think he can win the presidency regardless of what you think about him as an individual. Former Vice President Mike Pence, who's considering whether to challenge Trump for the party's nomination in 2024, says Americans are not focused on his former boss. Trump claims he couldn't have assaulted her because she was, quote, not his type. That was at the center of the case. Carol's attorneys managed to use those words against him. They showed video from Trump's deposition where he confused Carol for his ex-wife, Marla Maples, shown a photo of her. The jury's verdict also included an award of $5 million to Carol. There's already some digging going on at the site of the new Bill Stadium. Here's WBEN's Brayton Wilson. Preliminary construction efforts on a new state-of-the-art football stadium will be taking place between now and the beginning of June when excavation work is set to begin in Orchard Park across the street from Highmark Stadium. It will take more than three years for the stadium to be completed with the target date for a substantial completion set for 2026 when the Bills will be able to host football games for the 2026 season. As was the goal of several members of the negotiating party for the stadium project agreement, state officials like Governor Kathy Hochul were looking to keep the Bills in Western New York for the long haul with a new stadium. That was my number one priority to make sure that the bills would commit and that was part of our negotiations early on. It was uh, non-negotiable as far as I was concerned. We wanted a 30-year commitment from the bills. We received that. We look forward to a groundbreaking uh, hopefully in the very near future. When it comes to the magnitude of this upcoming stadium project, Steve Rinaldi, president of the Erie County Stadium Corporation, reaffirmed that this will be the largest project of its kind in western New York history. When it comes to the need for workers on a project of this scale, Rinaldi says it's tough to pinpoint just how many laborers will exactly be called upon to build the new stadium. I just know the bills are going to ramp up very quickly. The site fence is going up. Obviously, some of the early site demolition clearing the way. But you're going to see a lot of equipment and a lot of people on site here within the next two to three weeks. And it's only going to ramp up from there over the course of those years. So it's exciting. They've got a project labor agreement signed between the bills and the unions here for any when that's still interested, there is time for vendors, suppliers, contractors and such to head over to buffalobillsnewstadium.com to find out if they can get involved as well. More on the upcoming construction of the new Bill Stadium is available for you online.
Brayton Wilson, WBEN.com News. All right. A first at Westminster. Buddy Holly is top dog at Westminster. The Petit Basset Griffon Vendillon, named for the rock and roll legend, beat out more than 2,500 other canines to take best in show at America's premier dog show. A first for the breed. His handler and co-owner, Janice Hayes. It's a small breed, and we like it for that because they're not for everyone. But they've we've done a long time getting this breed to be noticed. Later today, Buddy gets a VIP tour of the Big Apple including lunch at Sardi's, but before that, the PBGV helped himself to a snack of flowers during the news conference. Daria Albinger, ABC News, New York. Was that CBGB's back in New York? <laughs> it's, no, it's a PS Savon Savon Right, right. Um, I and, like the, uh, the PBGV, though. That's a good way to do it. I've... I have at least heard of most dogs, I feel. Right. Never in my life have I heard... This one. Those words together. And I was thinking, what in the world kind of dog is this? I have no idea when you say the, the name of that breed, right? So I just looked at it. It kind of looks like a small sheepdog. Like a mini version of a sheepdog? Yeah. Okay. Um, otherwise, I would never have known. I wouldn't either. And these are all like purebreds, too. So this, I yeah. mean, it's, you know, you'd think maybe if you're a dog person, you would think of it. Uh, maybe not. Uh, best in show. Congratulations. Your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast. Hazy sunshine again today with temperatures the mid to upper 60s this afternoon. Sunshine on Thursday. Temperatures back in the 70s. We're looking at low 70s tomorrow. Mid to upper 70s on Friday. With your exclusive WBEN 7 weather forecast, I'm Chief Meteorologist Aaron Minkowski. Joining us live in studio is Dr. Michael Cummings. Um, Associate Medical Director at ECMC, also uh, working in the psychiatry department at the University of Buffalo, Jacobs School of Medicine. Dr. Cummings, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, You hear that from a survivor who was there, who doesn't want to go back. I, I would have to imagine that that would apply to a lot of people. A year seems like a long time when you say it, but uh, as we're all sitting here, we said before, we can't believe it's been one year since this attack. Yeah, I think when we're talking about trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, and things like that, you know, there really isn't a time frame. Um, yes, in some ways, things get better over time for, for many people, particularly if they kind of work through it and get some support and help from professionals or trusted friends. But but the, the heinous thing about PTSD is you can be triggered by something relatively innocuous years later. You know, the combat vet who hears a car backfire, um, things like that. And so it's very personalized. It's a very personalized experience for the people who experience it at ground zero, but for the community and the nation in general. And our responses are really individualized based on that. And some will be re-traumatized, probably, looking ahead to this weekend, and, and others may not be at all. 100%. I mean, anniversary dates can be particularly difficult. I mean, we can think about loss of loved ones and things like that and around the holidays. And that. Um, but in cases of, of mass shootings or other tragedies like this, you know, it's not just your own experience. It's not just your family or the community's collective experience. It's that we are also, I mean, we're talking about today, right? As we approach those anniversaries or when there are new events, which we know there will be, it's not that that one event's reported. It's all the prior events are reported again. And and with, you know, social media being everywhere, the possibility of being re-traumatized is, is a, it's an everyday experience. I, it would be an everyday experience walking into a grocery store. You mentioned especially as this anniversary is approaching. I was just walking into a separate tops location uh, up in North Tonawanda. 
armed security that I don't typically see at that location, but there, and for an obvious reason, right, uh, this week. But that could be a trigger, I would imagine, in a lot of people's mind. For some people, it's reassuring. For others, it's, should I be nervous? Well, so when we talk about PTSD, you know, we're talking about flashbacks and hypervigilance and avoidance, and that, those are some of the clinical symptoms that go along. But there's something much more. There's, there can be a sense of unsafe that permeates, a sense of negativism. You know, I think about, I try to explain to my sons, we're big Bills fans, and, you know, you just take for granted there's a SWAT team outside when you walk into every professional football team. But that wasn't true before 9-11. That's the new norm. And, and yes, it can be reassuring to many people to see armed guards or you know, police, but it also is a reminder that there's a reason why those folks are there. And even in the presence of those folks, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be safe. And so, so that's what we're dealing with with people. Joining us live in studio, Dr. Michael Cummings, Associate Medical Director at ECMC. We're talking about the mental health ramifications a year after 514 and the top shooting. Uh, and Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because we hear the word trauma now so often, it seems. And, you know, when I was thinking about this anniversary and you hear from some of the people who were inside that store at the time, I, I mean, it that is a different level. I, trauma now can be, you know, my dad worked a lot when I was a kid, so I have trauma in the past. But this is a different level. This is, I mean, I would say true trauma. That's probably not how you would describe it. But how do you make that differentiation when treating patients about what type of, you know, quote unquote trauma you're experiencing? Well, trauma like pain is very subjective, right? So it also depends on who the person is, what their genetic background is, what their prior history of trauma is. We used to talk about trauma as like, you know, for PTSD, it had to be something that happened to you that was life-threatening or at risk of like dismemberment and things like that. And it had to be you or you had to witness it. Um, that kind of has changed. It can be things that happen to a loved one. But now we talk about it a little bit differently. There's kind of like the big T's of trauma, you know, shootings, car accidents, you know, assaults, um, that I think everyone says, okay, I get that. We talk a lot about the little T's of trauma too, and a lot of times little small traumatic events. I mean, I've mentioned in the past, I, my primary practice is in kids with autism. Tiny little traumas throughout their life, you know, people with autism have a 70% chance of having PTSD. So those little ones can add up just as meaningful as the big ones. With the shootings, we've also talked about things like vicarious trauma, as well as with COVID. Being experienced, the first responders, you know, the nurses and EDs, you know, being exposed to stuff that's not happening to you, but happening to others around you over and over again can lead to PTSD. And then there's this term of collective trauma, which is, I think, what Buffalo and Western New York has experienced. It's a community-based experience. When you think about the shooting, the fire, the storm, the, the Hamlin incident, all those things, that is, is you know, something that community experiences. And if it happens in your community or to your race or to your culture, you probably even have a deeper um, experience of that. Joining us live in studio, Dr. Michael Cummings, Associate Medical Director at ECMC. We're talking about the one-year anniversary of the top shooting approaching this upcoming Sunday and some of the mental health aspects that go uh, into that. Dr. Cummings, the, the one-year commemoration, a lot of these events can bring back, you know, certain memories, but so can the news on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, just this past weekend in Texas, uh, these news of these shootings have an impact on Buffalo in a way that they likely didn't before because of what we went through a year ago. 
Yeah, I think what I was referring to, that whole idea of collective trauma and, and how it affects a community, um, not just the individuals, um, and even members of the community that were very far removed and didn't necessarily have any traumatic responses themselves. Um, and, and there's also an anticipatory uh, piece here, right? I mean, you know, since 2011 to 2021, we averaged about five school shootings, active shooters a year. You know, you have to go back to 1981 to have zero. And so think about a four-year-old where they're kind of sort of understanding the world and being immersed because whether they're looking at it, their parents are looking at it, it's always in the background of like, what's it mean to go to school? You know, and then when it happens in your community, in a, in a, in a focal point of your community, the tops, you know, was a gem, is a gem of, of, of the Jefferson uh, community. You know, again, it's, it's to have such a place of meeting and purpose and community to have something so awful and horrific happen. It really affects and, and people struggle. Um, but coming together as a community is also one of the cures for it. So, so while people have a difficult time, commemorating is really um, is important and can be healing for, for the community in general. You know, along that same line, is this event, this anniversary, and then all these other shootings that have occurred, is it desensitizing us? Because, I mean, we heard this week 199 mass shootings so far this year, including the one at that Texas mall last weekend. And some people are becoming numb to it, almost accepting it like it's normal. Well, sadly, it is a reality, right? I think normal is an unfortunate word if we use that, right? I mean, but it's it's a reality. Um, and, and I think in some ways that's what I, for me and for, I mean, I, I deal with trauma. I work at the number one trauma center in Western New York, right? And one of the biggest ones in the country. So, so yeah, it's, it's, we're kind of used to it, but when it came at home, when you first heard the announcement, and it was at a Tops I used to shop at when I had an office on Jefferson and William. So, you know, I mean, it, it you know, really hits home. And, and suddenly this, yeah, it happens to other people, which still we struggle with. When it's in your own community, it becomes very, very real, doesn't it? I think it absolutely does. What is something people can do if they're, you know, thinking – I, maybe they're not thinking about this 24-7, but it's, it's in the back of their mind. They walk into a grocery store. And, you know, as we've said before, you don't have to necessarily be directly involved or close enough living in this community to have that impact. What is something people can do to maybe free their mind a little bit, uh, to de-stress themselves over these situations if they still, a year later, find themselves in a state of worry? Yeah, so, I mean, mental health violence, gun violence, it's a community-based problem, requires a community-based solution. And, and so first and foremost, talking with trusted people. People, they don't have to be mental health professionals. I mean, they could be uh, people from your church, they could be family members, they could be colleagues, but people who you trust. Just talking things out can be helpful. If you're starting to feel yourself struggle, you know, certainly stay on a schedule. Avoid using coping mechanisms that aren't healthy, alcohol, substance abuse, et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, Take a break from the media. There's going to be a lot going on. You can be informed without immersing yourself in it 24-7. Um, but also community. This is one of the things important, helping others in an altruistic, giving back thing. That is actually really healing for the individual, which I think a lot of this weekend will be a lot. And, of course, if it gets very really difficult, then you really need to seek help, and there's a lot of options for that. You mentioned staying on the schedule. I think that's uh, you know something we talked a lot about with kids with school closures. How does that help somebody. In a world now, you have a lot of people working from home, you know, maybe doing their own thing more so than ever. 
How does staying on a schedule help your mental health? Well, in a lot of ways. First of all, we are cyclic beings, right? So if you look at the highest rates of depression, alcohol abuse, and suicide, they're in the most northern territories in Canada and Alaska where you have night 24-7 for half the year, by far. Um, and so part of that is the sun actually functions as an antidepressant. But part of that is because people lose their schedule. Day and night no longer matter, right? It's just arbitrary. Having a predictable schedule and predictable sleep and predictable eating habits actually makes your body function better. And when we talk about, I hate the word chemical imbalance when we talk about depression or bipolar disorder, but it actually does help balance those chemicals within your brain and your body. Um, and it creates a level of predictability internally when there may not be one externally. When you talked about seeking help, and you said there are options. I mean, what are the options for people? So, of course, you know, oh, oh, there's many community-based options. We have great community mental health centers throughout Buffalo and the suburbs. Going to your primary care doctor if you have a question. Going to someone who you trust at a church or, or your child or guidance counselor at school. And, of course, you know, ECMC, we have our help center seven days a week. It's open from 8.30 to 10.30, seven days a week. And Monday through Friday, there's virtual options. Number for that is 716-898-1594. Um, we built that to prevent people from having to go to the emergency room. So, so, and there's other walk-in clinics starting to pop up in other community mental health centers as well. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there. Don't be afraid to ask for help. We were speaking with a political guest uh, earlier this week. It made me think of talking with you uh, today because he mentioned, um, you know, politically, things are hard for anyone who's in charge because he described as post-COVID the country being in a sort of malaise. Just, you know, nothing seems to be going right. You can't get your groove back. In Western New York, is that maybe an accurate way to describe the past year, the shooting, these blizzards, the fire you mentioned, uh, even Damar Hamlin, um, and you know, kind of watching that play out on national TV? Is that happening here? Oh, it's 100% happening here. And and for my work, I travel all over the country. So I'm in Texas, California, New York City, all, all over the place. It's happening everywhere else, too. Um, but, it, you know, this being, I've been here for 30-plus years, you know, this, you can feel it and you can sense it. And it's in small things. I think we're turning the corner a little bit. But, like, going to the grocery store, and not just because of the shooting, but just going to the grocery store prior to that, to me, used to be kind of a fun thing. You'd see people. You'd recognize people. Everyone's eyes are down. Everyone's going about their thing. This just doesn't have that same sense of socialization and community. And, and that's been going on since COVID. Um, and it really overshadows everything else in our lives. So, yeah, you can feel it. It's palpable. And in your practice, you have you seen a – an increase in the number of cases that you're treating? Routinely, I see. Now, my primary practice is severely autistic children, but I see other patients and other folks. The number of people I've seen whose depression stems around, yeah, I work from home always. Like, my spouse works from home always. I don't really have time to myself. It's not like because it's a problem or an issue. It's just like work and home are not separate anymore. Um, I can do it throughout the day, which is nice for flexibility, but then you don't have a start and stop. You know, and we're all working a lot. And, and, and I think it goes back to, though, we're talking about that internal structure, that structure for work, that structure for recreation, that structure for prayer, whatever it is that, that you do is really important. And carving out that time, um, even if it's only five minutes a day, can be very healthy. Dr. Michael Cummings is in studio with us from Erie County Medical Center, also UB, Jacobs School of Medicine, uh, Doctor of Psychiatry, talking about the anniversary this weekend of 514. What is your best, I guess, best suggestion for people 
about taking these events in this weekend to mark this anniversary? Well, again, take them in on your own pace. You know, there, there, there's a concept in positive, called positive psychology, and there's a word that goes along with PERMA, P-E-R-M-A. And, and it, it, positive psychology is different because typically psychology, we look at things that are wrong with people and try and get them back to baseline. This is trying to make people's lives better. But if you Google that, it breaks down to the P is positive emotion, E's engagement, R's relationships, N is meaningfulness, A is accomplishment. And I could talk about this for hours. But if someone takes a look at that, it gives really nice tips on how not just to navigate situations like this, but life in general in meaningful bite-sized things. So I have people say, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to take care of myself. You got two minutes. And this helps you break those things down. And and I think it would really resonate with the listeners if they just, it's a quick Google, positive psychology, PERMA, you'll get all kinds of information about it. Um, And keeping those thoughts in mind while you're navigating this difficult weekend, and unfortunately future weekends that will certainly come up like this, I think can be very positive and very empowering. I, when you talk about some of these things uh, and, you know, kind of putting it all together, we talked about a schedule, we talked about, you know, positive psychology here. I mean, it sounds like a, maybe a simple advice would be for a lot of people to just find something they really enjoy doing that matters to them, a, a hobby uh, on the schedule that you can kind of immerse yourself in and, and feel good about yourself. That's 100% right. So the E in PERMA engagement, what they're really talking about is being in flow, where you're doing something that you're so focused on that, you're not focused on anything else. For some people, it's reading. For some people, it's gardening. For some people, it's name. For some people, it's working out sports, running. What It doesn't matter. For some people, it's prayer or meditation. It doesn't matter what it is. That is such a healthy task. And it's just finding the thing that you can do that with. Um, it should not be searching social media. But but other than that, you know, um, you know, you're exactly right. And that's part of self-care. And that's what not only gets us through these tragedies, but also makes the rest of our lives better. That's the WBEN All Local. All new episodes are made available each weekday morning, produced by the award-winning WBEN Newsroom.